Uh, we're going to do a very uh, textual-based study, and this is a suggestion by John. And thank you, John, again. And once again, if everyone has any suggestions to do, uh, we're going to uh, try to accommodate that. Uh, now, I think uh, just before we get started, it's important to realize that uh, unlike other classes, other discussions that we have, we have a certain set goal, like a, a topic or an, an idea or an insight or something that we want to get to. Uh, while today it's going to be more about the process, it's going to be more about the you know going through the text and analyzing it in a very critically critical way, asking all the important questions uh, along the way, and I think it's a good it's a good it's a good the the goal is to have the exercise of going through a source and analyzing and what's kind of the methodology of approaching it in a uh, in a deep uh, profound way. Uh, and the, I think the 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 key to unlocking these kind of, this this or this mode of of study is to ask questions. So what we're going to and now, John, uh, uh, you know, bless you, John. But you picked kind of one of the most challenging episodes in all of Torah, and I think it does. It's going to add a, a you know an element of intrigue to you know to the discussion because it's not just about you know analyzing text, but it's also trying to analyzing decisions and narratives. Uh, that seem to be very perplexing. Um, okay, so um, what I, the way I, the way I see this working is we're going to read the verse. We have it all in English. Um, this is a pretty good translation. I looked at the first verse, uh, and just the setting. Where are we now? So uh, like we're at Mount Sinai. So the Jewish people they they uh, they left Egypt. Uh, they have the whole. Um, you know, the, the week after they're being pursued and they have the splitting of the sea and now they're, you know, free and clear. And uh, exactly, what was it, uh, uh, do the math here, 45 days after they left Egypt, they encamp uh, in Mount Sinai. And six days later, they have the Ten Commandments. And Moses disappears and he tells them we'll be back in 40 days. And 39 days later, there's a miscalculation. We'll see exactly why they made a miscalculation. But they assume Moses is not coming down, and they decide to build a golden calf and to prostrate themselves in front of them and declare that a god, which is very bizarre. Like, if you just experienced splitting of the sea, you started eating food from manna falling from heaven, you witnessed with your own eyes the humbling of Pharaoh and the Egyptians with the ten plagues, it doesn't seem like the appropriate response is to uh, repudiate uh, God and build yourself a golden calf. It's a very bizarre, very bizarre episode. I disagree. Of course you do, Janet. <laughs> uh, I do. We have miracles all the time. We have miracles that we get up in the morning and Well, uh, we maybe that's what you're leading up to. Well, maybe, yeah, well, uh, yes. I, I think the question is a question I think your answer is also to answer. When's the last time you parted the sea, Janet? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was high tide. Well, Obama did it uh, in the, at the convention with the parting of the Greek columns, remember? I'm just looking at this guy, Satan. Is that Edward G. Robinson? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, let's not get too far ahead. Because I want want to read the verse. Uh, Maybe we'll get a volunteer to read the verse. Vitaly, you want to volunteer? And then we're going to try to ask like 10 questions in the verse before looking at Rashi. Rashi's going to help settle it. But 
um, Rashi got to where he got to via analyzing the verse itself. When the people saw that Moses was late in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and they said to him, Come on, make us God and we will go before us. Because this man Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Seems pretty straightforward. The people see that Moses is delayed. Uh, he's not coming down the mountain. They, they gang up against Aaron. They say, go ahead, Aaron, make a God for us uh, because Moses is not coming down and we don't know what happened to him. Does that seem logical? That's what bugs me is Aaron. He's a leader of these putzes and what happens? I mean, <laughs> all this sort of thing. And he, he's weak-kneed. Yeah, yeah who's weak-kneed? That's right. Yeah, sure. That's why God didn't pick him to lead. They picked his brother to lead. Okay, so that's 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 he's a very gone. good. He's gone. He's upstairs. He's getting him with some more education. Not, Aaron can't hold the fort down. Right. So, so John, what's the question you're asking? You're asking was why would Aaron capitulate? All I can think of is he's probably had his life threatened. He said, "Well, I better do this or something like that." That's all I can think of. The elections were coming, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So watch how we treat these people. Okay, l- 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 I want everyone to look at the verse again uh, and try to think of maybe just uh, either the content or the text or the. W- what's strange? There's a lot of strange. I came up with uh, 13 different questions on the verse. Um, well, some of them are based upon the Hebrew words of the verse, so we'll skip those, but uh, it's, it, 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 there's a lot of strange things, strange things happening. Uh, l- l- what is late? What is late? Yeah, what does it mean that he's delayed? You know, or, uh, you know, the, the, what, what, how does it start? When the, when the people saw, the words, the words that, the to, that, that the Torah is going to be using are very measured. It's clearly the right word. Uh, can you see someone being delayed? How do you see someone? How do you see a pause? That's just the way it's written. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's maybe. Okay, or maybe not. They saw something. Or oh, maybe the people noticed is a better word. Maybe saw is not. You know, saw, they noticed, they realized. But it says the people saw that Moses was late. How do you see someone being delayed? You could see... What? Yeah, but do you see a pause? Do you see something not happening? Yeah. You go ahead. Keep not being there. Well, no, I, I would say the point you're getting at is exactly why I think we shouldn't ignore what the actual Hebrew words are and the yeah. questions are. Because any translation we have is going to be biased and false. So yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so, so, so let's... We're, we're punching at shadows yeah. in English. Yeah, okay, okay, well, but that, that you saw, that's a good translation of, you know, yeah. Vayar. Uh, but the word, uh, the Moses was delayed. Yeah. The, the, the tip, you know, or once it was late, late or delayed, saw depends how... He was delayed. Boshesh. The word boshesh uh, is from the root of, like, uh, uh, of being embarrassed. Um, like Bayesh. It's a very bizarre word to use for being delayed. And the word uh, like Ichur is the correct word. Uh, if you just want to say that someone is delayed, you say that he's Mu'char uh, or Ichur. That's the correct word. So that's another bizarre thing. But that's, that's probably the only question I would have. So Bashesh is the Hebrew word that they're translating into late? Into delayed, yes. Yes. That he was hesitant, maybe. He was hesitant. Oh, so maybe they doubted that he, maybe they thought he had lost faith? 
you know, that he had. And if you're, if you're going to say that he's hesitant, there's an indication that they can see him or interpret something about him. Not that he's up in a cloud and disappeared on the top of the mountain. I don't know, man. I mean, I have the verse. I think you're, you're saying you're, you're, they're seeing something and they're seeing something that Moses delayed, but the word that they're using is a word that means a little bit more, means, or a little bit less. It means that he's hesitant or, um, I don't know. Or at the, at the risk of being inappropriate, um, there's also <laughs> a, like a similar English term. You know, if a woman comes to you and says, I'm late, it means there's trouble. You know, and it's potentially embarrassing. And so, but but it's the same idea. You know, like something has been expected and has not come to pass, and there's potentially something wrong with it. There's a problem the, there, and it may or may not be a shady problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's so interesting. Got, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm just saying, like, there's the, that choice of words can indicate something negative, like that, um, a, a missed expectation. Um, and understanding if you're dealing with a missed expectation similar to a female circumstance, then you're looking at people who have a mindset, they've got an attitude about how something should be unfolding, but it's not. Um, and and you're, I'm saying you're right, because this is the preamble for the most uh, uh, disappointing episode in the whole Torah. But right. couldn't, based on what's being discussed here, wouldn't a more proper English translation have been when the people saw that Moses was hesitant in coming down from the mountain? Yes. So uh, I think the, the better question, the better question, that's, that, that's a good question but, uh, about translation, but remember we have, it's it's very clear from all the sources that that's the correct translation, that he was delayed. But the better, I think the, that's a good question, but the better question I think would be is why would such a word be used? Just say the more traditional word and the fact that you're going um out of character, so to speak, or, or uh, off script by saying a word that's a little bit different than the exact translation that you want, you're obviously trying to indicate something else as well. So what else is trying to be indicated by this bizarre word of Boshesh? I'm wondering, it says when the people saw that Moses was waiting coming down from the mountain, is there an inference there that they can see him, but he's up on the mountain? Or is there an Well, they saw him going up. They saw him going up. But they also saw he was delayed. Well, what did they see? Or they saw he was... That's why I said a few minutes ago that maybe they thought he lost his faith. And if their leader lost his faith, then doesn't it mean the, the, the lay are going to lose their faith or the flock is going to... Yes, and then I think what your logic is, because the next thing they say to Aaron is, come on, make us gods. It doesn't suggest that they are willing to be participatory, but rather they're expecting Aaron to do it. And that's John's question. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good translation. I said it's a good translation. But um, rise up. Well, how does it say? I think rise up is a more. Is, come on, come on, rise up. It's kum, uh, which is a better word to say. Rise up. Either way, um, which is another good question. Why just talk to Aaron? What if they rise up and make? What were they telling him to rise up? Just tell him make make us a god, or it says gods by the way as well. Vacuum. Maybe it's just anger. It's another. It's a euphemism for get off your butt or something. And no, they might have thought that Moses now has uh, have abandoned them, abandoned them, and now they have to fend for themselves. So they need some. If Moses abandons them, then God abandons them. So they need That's God. where Aaron comes in. He's got to tell them people, come on, hang in there. But maybe it was uh, the people's expectations of the time frame that Moshe was supposed to come down from the mountain because they didn't meet the expectation. They referred back to 
their comfort zone, which was the, the whole Egypt and going back to many gods and all that. Maybe they had an expectation he was supposed to be there at a certain time because he wasn't, mm -hmm. and they ended up. Look, they had prison mentality that much. That's all there is to it. So they went back to the safest way that they found. Now, uh, I want to just throw in something here um, that in, 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 in Jewish uh, uh, literature, there's a name assigned for the generation of those 40 years. They're called Dor Deah, which means the nation of knowledge, uh, or the generation of knowledge. Um, this, and obviously the knowledge is, is, you know, probably one of the best compliments you could give someone from the Torah's perspective is, is something intellectual, that, you know, that they have a, a, a certain uh, measured success in knowledge. And, but the entire generation is defined as the generation of knowledge. Clearly, uh, we're not dealing with lightweights, or at least not from the Torah's perspective. Why are they considered the because remember, they're the ones who they them, they experienced live the Ten Commandments. They had prophecy along with the rest, uh, the, the rest of the whole nation, along with Moses. They're the ones who left Egypt. They're the ones who ate who ate the manna. They're the ones who had the direct instruction from Moses. And they're the ones who hungered for the flesh pots of Egypt. Yes. Also, so so that but that 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 makes the problem. That that, that means that therein lies maybe the the. The, the challenge of understanding this episode is, okay, what's the deal? You know, it seems... I don't know how they could possibly be considered the generation of knowledge. Well... They have so much internal wrestle. They have so much struggle. They're trying to be the but not of wisdom. That's what I mean. They knew things because they saw them, but they didn't have the wisdom to yeah. behave properly with that knowledge. The definition between information and knowledge, yeah. there's a difference. I agree. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to the end of the verse. There's a bunch of very strange things in the end of the verse as well. So we have the uh, just you know the people saw what they see. You know um, why are the why, why are they telling Aaron? Why is he uh, uh, taking part in this? What's the deal with them seeing a delay? Uh, the word boshesh, hesitant, very strange word to use. Um, they want multiple gods, which is bizarre. It's very clear. It says, make us multiple gods that will go in plural sense. Um, what happened to the whole monotheism thing? Uh, additionally, what else, what else do we see from the end of the verse here? Let's read it again. They tell, they tell Aaron, rise up, or come on, however we want to translate it. Make, us, make for us gods who will go before us. For this man, Moses, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. He's saying good the man. Point. I think that's a good point. But you're, you're pointing out very, uh, very astutely that uh, it says for this man, it makes it absolutely clear that they never, for a single second, thought of Moses as anything but a man. Fantastic. And so they're worshiping Moses instead of God. Well, they, but they, but they weren't worship. They, they, they declare Moses, Moshe, or Moses as a man. Yeah. Which, which makes, which begs the question. Okay, if if, if they're looking for a placement for Moses. Man, why are they looking to have a god as a replacement? Well, I think that's the question that we're asking. Who are they placing that trust in? Because if it's Moses who's, who they can't see and is gone, and now they're falling apart, then where was the trust to be 
well, did they really think that Moses took them out of Egypt? Really? Uh, they rejected Moses from day one. You know, Moses had to pull them out taking and screaming. Suddenly, suddenly Moses is the one that takes them out of Egypt? Yeah, it wasn't Moses. I mean, I think they looked to him as a leader, but I think they believed it was God when they saw the miracles, when they saw the plagues, when they... I don't. I think well, they... What do you need? How do you see all that? I think they saw Can you change so quick? Well, they knew that, that Moses had direct communication with God, and that he was embarrassed. Yeah, yeah he was like the connect... Yeah. He was the conduit. And if he wasn't there anymore, then they their their connection with God might be lost. They they were fearful. So maybe it's just kind of semantics. To give up on God, like God couldn't have another conduit or receptor, and just okay, Moses is gone. Is gone. God is gone. Now you, I. Well, remember fear. Well, I was just fear. Remember is an emotion. It's not logical. Okay, emotion by definition is lack of evidence, lack lack of logic, and they feared. So they weren't necessarily, yeah, you would think logically they saw all these miracles, they shouldn't lose faith. However, it wasn't a lot, they were in an emotional state. Well, and I think they felt like they lost their connection and their intermediary and their panic, and so they went back to how they Which, I mean, that, that's, that's the crucial or the critical error of idolatry to begin with. How did idolatry start off? It started off as being kind of uh, a, a mistaken calculation of, well, okay, if God created the sun, the sun is so, so massive and so wonderful, let's at least accord some honor to the sun as a means to recognizing God. Uh, but then, you know, that crucial link of, of connecting the, the sun and the celestial beings to God, once that disappears, then the sun becomes... Something of its own platform. Yeah. Something I could see missing here was saying they're going back to the idolatry, but supposedly these people were Jews who were not idolaters. Otherwise, if they had well, been, but, why are we taking them out of Egypt? Yeah, but okay, so that's number one. They weren't all Jews, but but also who said that? Um, who said that they um, that the Jews weren't idolaters? It seems very clear from the sources that indeed in Egypt they were idolaters. Uh, we once quoted this uh, this same room that the, the Talmud says that the, oh, the merit that the Jewish people had uh, to be saved from Egypt was that they didn't change their clothing, their language, uh, or their names. They all had Jewish, distinct Jewish names, Jewish language, and Jewish clothing. Uh, but in their behavior, they were no different. And no, no one's going to no, I'm saying that seems a legitimate argument. Uh, and these were people that were, you know, in, in the dreads uh, of the spiritual uh, world when they were taken out of Egypt. And maybe that that is like like Janet said that, that maybe that's what they were, and they had this temporary uh, spiritual uh, oasis at Mount Sinai, but that's not going to last. You know, maybe maybe if if you just have a uh, an artificial injection of spiritual 
uh, vitality, and then once that wears off, then you're in danger for the reverting back. And, you know, real, real growth, real change is... Because, because we know that we could always revert back. You know, the mischief... The whole idea of fringes, isn't it? Now, I think that was after Mount Sinai, but like the whole idea... They're, they're beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I got new uh, ones in New York. <laughs> the whole idea is to remind, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you could, in theory, not have those and, and remember, uh, but the reminders, I guess, the mezuzah, everything is... Uh, it's actually very interesting because I saw... Uh, uh, over the weekend, I was looking at some of the sources here. There's a lot. There's so much written about this particular... This one verse is so much written about, it, but of course the ensuing rest of the chapter. Uh, so one of the commentaries writes that there's a... The Talmud says, uh, we know that tzitzis, fringes that you mentioned, there's supposed to be a blue... Uh, a blue, one, of, one of them is supposed to be a blue thread. Now, there's a, a very controversial issue because we don't know where's the blue coming from and that they'll say, well, we do, we do know what it is, we don't know what it is. There's a lot right now. My, like my dad wears ones with the blue string. Uh, I don't wear my I wear blue with the white ones. It's very expensive. Seen one with a yeah, it's a, this you know this 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 esoteric animal that you only got to find what it looks like. And did we find it? And then in the late 19th century, no, we didn't. That was a false alarm. But this, this it was a false positive. Well, this is the real one. A lot have been written about it. Very controversial. Well, not very. It's not super controversial either way. Uh, but the Talmud says, why does why does why are we supposed to have one of the streams to be chelet to be blue? It says like this. It says uh, that because the blue is similar to the water, and the water is similar to the sky, and the sky is similar to uh, the colors. And when we think about the sky, you'll be reminded be reminded of God. It's like this process where one thing leads to another. Uh, and you have a visual, like you said, and the visual will hopefully kick you down the line of bringing you something. Oh, this looks like the water. Oh, oh, the water's a reflection of the sky. Oh, and still we look at the sky, they'll bring, eventually bring you to think about God. And um, the argument was that that process happened, uh, or, or that was attempted to happen with the golden calf. That, that, that the Jews not, didn't necessarily want idolatry you know, from the inception. That wasn't their goal when they set out to do it. But eventually, uh, uh, they, uh, their goal was to have something which will remind us of something that will remind us of God. But whenever someone does that on their own, there's a danger of them not actually going to the final step and just losing, lo- losing that association of God and then uh, stopping one station too short and then you have idolatry. So interesting. Okay, well, that. you've got me. I mean, I... I, I you got me um, intrigued by the other thing you just said. Uh, why do we not? Why do? Why, why do we not have a thread of blue on today's fringes? Yeah, so the thread of blue Seems it's like made simple to do. It's made oh, out of uh, blood of a certain sea creature. Uh, now, what the sea creature is and what it looks like, it's described several places. Um, In where the Torah? Uh huh. Or in, the in the Torah or the Talmud, it's a chila zone, I think that's what it's called. I, I have read somewhere that it was like, they think it may be a snail, like a type of snail. Yes, I have a snail. But there's so much kind of Yeah, but well, there's, there's a few descriptions of what, what it gives us about it. 
um, it says Gufo uh, Domiliyam. I think it says that its body is similar to the water, um, uh, and it says that they used to smash it with a rock to get out the. So, which me seemed to indicate they had some sort of hard shell. Uh, there, I, I have a, a friend over here in town who theorizes that it's the. Um, oh, what's the name of the animal? It's uh, it's this blue animal that's lot lots of little strings coming out of it. Um, it's um, squid. It's called a sea something. Squid is not a culture animal. Huh? Like a crusty. Couldn't be a I don't remember what. So that he theorizes that, and now um, in the late nineteenth century, there was one rabbi in Europe who made it his life's mission to find this animal. Because it was lost, he made a life mission. He did these, he did these, uh, 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 these adventures at sea, and they found all these different animals, and he chronicled it all, and he said he found the right one. And then later it was debunked, and then they found the real one. And that's what you get now. So, oh, there's the real one, and there's the fake one. Uh, but the ones, the adherents of the, that original rabbi, they say, we just don't go with the fake one. But either way, um, many people, most people don't do it. Why? Because it's clear from the verses that the word lidorasam for the generations is only associated with the regular tzitzis, with the regular fringes, as opposed to a hakanaf psil tcheles, when it talks about that the, that the fringe will be of tcheles, of blue, it doesn't say for the generations. Thus, if you don't have an, a, a, a you know, tradition in what exactly this blue is, you don't have to worry that you're transgressing or you're, you're over, overlooking. Sounds uh, like a loophole. Yeah. Well, no, I, was, I researched this a few years ago I had some for James, and I was kind of curious what the deal was. And everything I read indicated that somewhere around, like, the Middle Ages, way back when, um, they lost track of exactly what made the blue dye. And there were a number of shaded people who were um, making false blue dyes, like plant-based dyes and other blue dyes. And the rabbis didn't want someone to be misled in choosing a blue thread and end up basically violating the commandment by having a blue thread that wasn't the right blue. And so they sent out a student that said, okay, everybody drop the blue thread and go all white until we actually know where this dye comes from, which led to generations of all white. And then people started looking for the sea animal. And they've now discovered this one kind of snail-like animal that they can make this dye from. And they went on for a while making the blue dye from the snail, and it was hotly debated. And then within the last, like, decade or so, um, some people who were excavating the caves that Bar Kokhba and all his people hid in um, found some existing um, blue dye fringes in those caves, were able to reliably date it to the Bar Kokhba era, and then they analyzed the dye and compared it to the blue dye currently being made and found that they matched, which is why some people That's are cool. comfortable using this blue dye today because it's the same dye from the Bar Kokhba era. But that's all the information. Uh, well, I think the bottom line is the English, the simple English translation, a thread of blue, the Hebrew has a far more deeper meaning than what we yeah. think of in today's language. Yeah. I guess that's mm-hmm. the But... Um, uh, going back to the golden calf, uh, there, like I said, there is that uh, one angle of seeing it as a mistake in how to kind of create those visuals uh, and how the danger of doing that on your own. Uh, either way, yes, go ahead. There are some uh, thought, I mean, some trends of thought that, uh, that what happened, the Holocaust and all that sort of thing, why is the Jews pushed around? It's a 
still a residue of the golden calf era. Falling off the wagon, so to speak, you know. Yeah, so um, what seems clear from the sources is that uh, most of we see later on, God says, I'm going to destroy the people, and Moses says, no, don't destroy them, what's going to be, what are the Egyptians going to think? Um, so God finally accedes to what he, uh, what he asks for, and in fact, the final forgiving happens on Yom Kippur. So the first Yom Kippur, after the Exodus, uh, was the day when God said, okay, I'll forgive them. And thus, that day is forever associated with atonement. So when we have Yom Kippur today, we have the same spiritual force and energy that existed on the original Yom Kippur, and thus we tap into that by seeking forgiveness for our misdeeds. Uh, but what happens to the sin? A sin doesn't just go away, right? So uh, the Torah makes it clear that in God's perspective, this is a sin that warrants the Jewish people being destroyed entirely. And that's it. Start from, start from scratch. Uh, that's what he says. Uh, now, uh, what's clear is that 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 doesn't just disappear, but instead it's going to be parsed out very slowly over the over the generations. What is the sin that you are referring to that makes it warrant to wipe? That's that's the question that we're asking today. What exactly is sin? There's a lot of different angles to it. The, obviously, the simplistic. If we just read the verses, if we just analyze the, the the source material, it seems like the Jewish people in their entirety seek to have idolatry. And that is considered a egregious sin, right? I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah. Idolatry, idolatry. Is the highest of everything that's in this verse—the making of the the making and the, and the subsequent worshiping of it, so to speak. Making of the gods. Yeah, making and worshiping. You know, that's interesting. The Bible doesn't say you can't have other gods. It says that you shall have no other gods besides. Does that mean? No, it says if anyone tells you that you you shall go. Uh, Go to other gods; those that you have not known, or we have not known, you put that person to death. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of verses. That, uh, uh, means Alpanai, where it says Alpanai in the, in the Ten Commandments. It does, uh, you know, yeah. But you could be misinterpreted as being, well, don't put it aside. Like, don't put the, you know. Yeah, yeah. Beside me, Alpanai literally means on my face. If you want to go very literal. Um, but it means, uh, yeah. But there are other verses where I think it's even more. Yeah, it means that, but there's that. many, many verses of idolatry throughout the entire Torah. It's clear that idolatry is a big no-no. Uh, it sounds to me like idolatry is that which they're uh, going to be conceivably like from the planet. That is the major. That's what I'd say. Like that, that, that's, what it, that's what it seems like. Um, or maybe some variant of idolatry. Uh, well, the Ten Commandments is the very same part of the Bible you just cited. So doesn't it say, you shall not make unto me any graven image? Yeah, as well. I mean, that, that seems it's, like a direct violation of what's being discussed. Uh, it's very legitimate, yes, so I would agree. The question is, what is a graven image? It can be a rock. It can be a piece I think the stone. implication is an idol. Or even an idol to me. You don't, you don't, you don't make an image of me because God is not a man. God has no Exactly. He has no body. Well, and so therefore, if you try and do it, you're messing up. Right? It don't have to be craving it. Cause what about when you, when you got the orders to get in there and cut down all the trees? There are sacred trees. Yeah, well, because the, the, the trees were those were those were idols. Yes. Oh. Asherah, right? Asherah, exactly. Can I just ask a quick question? Of course. Um, the issue with the blue dye. What is the issue with not mixing? 
flax and linen. You're not supposed to mix. Um, is wool the same thing? Wool, flax? wool, linen. Wool, linen. Excuse yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's the Torah, the Torah says that. You know, it doesn't, doesn't give any explanation. It's called shatnes, uh, mixing wool and linen in, in a single clothing. Um, except for Aaron, and except for, except for the scissors, uh, uh, by the way. Exactly. If scissors is made out of, out of shatnes, it could, it could be worn. And that's because you Well, they don't necessarily have them. But the point is that even if it were to be made out of shotness material, it can be worn, which was the positive outweighs the negative. Or the argument that it's not that the shotness itself is inherently bad, more that it's special and reserved for holiness. Like since Aaron is allowed to mix it, um, that it's something that has to do with holiness and sacredness and not something that you can... Um, treat cheaply in your everyday life. Like mm-hmm. this idea of something in every aspect of life, something is to be set aside and, and designated. It. And it's in an area of clothing, being mindfulness about mm-hmm. how you're dressing yourself and having some element of sacredness. Mm-hmm. Sacredness and yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, the Torah makes it clear that it's a chok, chok is a, as in a statute. Um, a lot of the mitzvahs in the Torah make a lot of sense to us. You know, we understand how society can only work if there's no murder or rape or whatever. You know, there's laws against uh, theft and whatnot. Um, some of them, it doesn't make any sense to us at all. Like we talk about the, uh, the, you know, the red heifer. I just saw a, a, a news article that in New Jersey, some, um, there's a farmer who has an entirely red, red heifer, a red cow. Not one. It's allegedly. I don't I haven't gotten too close to it. But he's, he, you know, in the article he says some some rabbi came and offered me a million dollars, and I said no. I want this to be when the Messiah comes, and we'll have the red heifer. That's what the guy wrote. I don't know, man. That's that's the story. Um, and by the way, by the way, the red heifer is always presented as being an atonement for the uh, for you know for the golden calf. But uh, the red heifer, we don't have, um, the Torah never gave us a reason why. It doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of illogical elements to the mitzvah. Uh, on so top of it being... Is, is that symbolic, the red, I don't know much about the red heifer, that when we when we see the red heifer, that foreshadows the Messiah come? No, it's just that, uh, not necessarily, but if we are to go to the temple, we cannot be ritually impure. And the only way to get to remove the ritual impurity is via the red heifer. However, what I'll tell you is, this is a secret to me and you, that there's the halacha that's called tumah hutra that if the entire nation is impure, then, 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 then it wouldn't be a problem. It means a public, a public um, engagement in the temple when the entire nation is impure may be okay. Well, that's the, it's, it's in the Talmud. It's very good. It's a whole... Too much of a zebra, uh, but either way, um, uh, the red heifer is a, is a mitzvah, which we don't know the reason. Doesn't make any sense to us. Like, you take the red heifer; it's happy red, okay, or orange. It's like a burnt orange. Uh, it's a common it's common for cows to be yeah. to, to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a common theme. Just uh, like I said, it has to be entirely red. No white hairs, no black hairs, no nothing. 
uh, and it has to be slaughtered and it has to be burnt and the ashes are mixed with the with the with the with the with you know with the with other ingredients and they're sprinkled upon people and have to have to be sprinkled by someone who is pure and then he becomes not pure and voila that's that's the mitzvah. Uh, but it doesn't make any sense to us. Uh, as shatness as well falls into that category in a mitzvah that we just take, we accept it on, you know, just this is what God says, and okay, we're okay with that. We're okay with realizing the limitations of our own understanding. Back to the verse. So we have a verse, we have a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. um, do we have a volunteer to start reading the Rashi? Rashi is going to try to unravel and un, uh, untie. The Rashi is going to be at the bottom of the first page. Um, yeah, go ahead, Steve. That Moses was late, Hebrew Vashes, um, as the Targum Onkelos renders Oter an expression for lateness. Likewise, in the verse, is his chariot late? Uh, Judges 5, um, verse 20, chapter 5, verse 28. And they waited until was late, Bosch. Judges 3-25, uh, when Moses went up to the mountain, he said... Okay, so let's let, let, let just stop and decode that. Uh, Rashi's asking the question, what does the word boshesh mean? And he tells you, just like the Unculus, Unculus uh, was the first translation of the Torah. Uh, he was part of Roman royalty. He was the, the nephew of, of, I think it was uh, of Nerva or something like that. One of the... One of the uh, one of the emperors in the late first century, and he converted to Judaism, and he translated the entire Torah uh, into Aramaic. And in every Torah scroll, and every in every Torah, most editions of Torah have on the side translation of Unculus. Uh, so Rashi is saying, by the way, the word Boshesh means just like Unculus said, delayed. Okay, and then he shows precedent for that. That Rashi, remember, Rashi is not working with computers. He's taking the entire Bible, all twenty-four books, all the words written in it, and he says, "I'll bring you the two examples." Where the word boshesh is used in this context, where it means the delay. Uh, both of them in the book of Judges. Okay, fine, continue. When Moses went up to the mountain, he said to them, the Israelites, At the end of 40 days, I will come within six hours from the sunrise of the 40th day. They thought that the day he went up was included in the number of the 40 days, but in fact, he said to them, 40 days, meaning complete days, including the night. But the day of his ascent did not have its night included with it because Moses ascended in the morning. For on the seventh day of Sivan, he ascended. Thus, the 40th day of Moses' absence was the 17th of Tammuz. On the 16th of Tammuz, Satan came and brought confusion into the world and showed a semblance of darkness, even pitch darkness and confusion as indicating that Moses had surely died and therefore confusion had come upon the world. He, Satan, said to them, Moses has died, for six additional hours have already passed and he has not come, etc. As is found in the Tractate Shabbat 89a, we cannot say that there... The Israelites' only error was that on a cloudy day they were confused between before noon and afternoon. You're going to forgive me, my contacts are not working real well. I'm having trouble reading. Because, Because Moses did not descend until the next day as... 
it is said on the next day the they arose early offered up burnt offerings verse 6 okay so let's uh, let's stop here i think uh, rashi talked about confusion i think we're all confused like a calendar error or something uh, so i think what he's saying is like this just simple translation i think what he's saying is like this moses tells them um, that um, I'm going to be gone for 40 days, and I'll come back in the sixth hour. Who knows the Hebrew word for six? Sheesh. And who knows the word for Hebrew for come? Ba. Ba. So say those words together. Yeah. Ba sheish, or bo sheish. And Rashi indicates this, but it's not clear. Rashi's telling us that the reason why the Torah used the word by, that, that, that the nation saw, vayara amki bo sheish, Moshe, the reason why that Moses was delayed because six had came, had come, and he promised us in the sixth hour, and he's not there. How cool Hell is that? Yeah. Is that cool? Uh, okay. It's a giant miscommunication. Well, that's what that, this is. Rashi's uh, understanding. Rashi's quoting from the Talmud. I don't think Rashi wasn't there. Right. Where's Rashi get this from? That's the, that's the, that's a very good question. Rashi tells you. I tell you, I got it from the Talmud. It's not. I didn't make this up. Um, Okay, so the sixth hour comes, and then we meet this new character. What's that? The Satan. Very bizarre character. With, we don't believe in Satan. What? That's a Christian idea, right? That's a, that, that's a good question. What is it? Uh, what's, it's clearly in Jewish sources. Uh, what does that mean? And what's he doing to them? And he's mixed. He's showing confusion. What's he actually showing? How is he trying to convince? He says, Moses dies. Moses is dead. What does that mean? Like, why should we believe him? Like, why was it so... Um, wh- what was this confusion, and what? Why is this fair? You know, if I show confusion, isn't that isn't that leading us astray? You know, isn't the fact that this this character that we call him the Satan or the Satan, or whatever, he's coming and he's deliberately causing the Jews to sin? It means, but they wouldn't have sinned if not for him. It seems like. You Notice know, the quietness of Aaron, the second in command. He don't say nothing. Uh, another very good question. Let's see. Let, uh, let's. Uh, um, let's see, maybe a little further. Let, let's finish the rest of the Rashi's, and then maybe we'll, uh, we'll try to answer some of the questions. I think it's fixing to come up in the next... Uh, yeah. uh, anyone wants to read the, the, the next three Rashi's to the end of the verse? They will go before us. The word is in the plural form. They desired many deities for themselves. Because this man, Moses, Satan showed them something resembling Moses being carried in the air. High above in the sky. All right. So more detail about the confusion, what he showed them. Okay. <laughs> Who brought us up from the land of Egypt and directed us the way we should go up from Egypt? Now we need gods who will go before us instead of Moses. Okay. So, um, so, 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 what do we see? So, so, what, what's the process here? It's day thirty-nine. They think it's day forty. Okay. So they're one day off. Fine. We're good with that. It's, it's six hours. Everyone's sitting there with a the clock. Right? Okay, six hours. Moses is not here. Goodness, what happened? They see confusion, and this character called the Satan is showing them things. When he shows them uh, the beer of Moses in the sky, and he tells them, Boshesh, six hours have come. Moses is dead, right? Causing that confusion. In fact, the Talmud says that uh, he actually said three things to him, to them. This is the Talmud that Rashi quoted uh, in, in the tractate Shabbat 89a. It says, number one, Satan came to him and says, Boshesh, six hours have come. And people didn't listen to him, listening to you. And then he said, Moses died, and they still didn't pay any attention to him. And then he showed them the image of Moses in a, in, in, in a, uh, in a, in a coffin, being carried in the sky, and then everyone, it all just mayhem. Um, 
is so psych- like a first example of psyops, right? What's that? Psychological warfare. Yeah. Is Satan a being, or is Satan a thought? I mean, I can't tell from this what Satan yeah. is. Yeah, that's a very good, it's a, it's a wonderful question. Question number one. Who has another question? Was so mine too hard? What did you show <laughs> the lines are in the coffin? Yeah, yeah, we meet. So we we do see Satan in Jewish literature, but what exactly is their role? Okay, good, good. Uh, what what does Rashi uh, hint to? Um, the um, oh, by the way, we say the verse says this man Moses. So uh, one of the questions that we didn't ask was the fact that it says this this we mean this man Moses, the man Moses, this man Moses. That's also, of course, they saw it. They, 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 they see this. Hey, look, this man Moses. They, they could point to it, right? That's all. In, that's that's all uh, hinted to in the actual text itself. Um, but what does what does Rashi tell us about the about the intention that they had with pursuing this calf process? Uh, they said, "Hey, Moses took us out. He was the guide. Now we want another guide, right?" Look at the last Rashi again. Uh, Moses took us out of Egypt. And and he was a guide for us. Um, and directed us the way we should go up from Egypt. Now we need gods who will go. Basically, they're looking. He's looking for. They're looking for replacement for Moses. It seems. Cle- I don't know. That's a good question. Well, why God or why gods? Either way, but it seems clear that they and like someone else pointed. out, I remember who pointed it out that it says this man Moses. Number one, number two, looking for a placement for Moses. They actually, maybe at least at the beginning, were looking for another god. Maybe it, it, it evolved into that, but it started off. Hey, Moses was the leader. Moses guided us. We don't have it anymore. There's a vacuum. Give us something else instead. Give us some sort of authority that could give us direction. Well, the question I have is, um, just how is it that That's similar to my question, isn't it? Is Satan What's the nature? or a being? Uh, well, yeah, I mean... He had to be, had to be an entity. I mean, let's face it. Who's going to talk to the air? That I could see, because, you know, clouds, cloud psychology, you have one person, I whisper to him, you know, what's going on, and he's not here. And then I whisper to her, and I say the same thing, and yeah, it just tells it just and, you know, snowballs. snowballs. So I could see that as being... The mob effect. Mob effect. What does that mean? Except that, wait, except that it says uh, about Satan bringing darkness and whatever, which is not a maybe that propels. Human being can do. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe it, it, you know, it's 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 a it's an amalgamation of both of those things. It's like, you know, there's some sort of uh, you know internal just you know, uncertainty, and then they have the Satan leading them along, and that that just spirals out of control. Seems like it didn't start off as just oh rebellion and mutiny, you know. Let's let's just all do that. It was this, they, you know they were egged on by the Satan, and then maybe it took a life of its own as it built the following. Um, well, it sounds to me like Satan came and he, and he doesn't speak to one person; he speaks to the, to the nation. So clearly, he's speaking to a mass audience. 
Fight it out, ladies. <laughs> uh, okay, so let, let, let's give some let's give some uh, a backdrop here for this for this discussion. Um, we find it's it's very important to make the distinction. We the, the term Satan um, is a Jewish term, and the same word is used for a Christian idea that is very different. Um, we don't believe that any anything has power aside from God. That's very clear. Uh, however, God creates realities that are maybe negative because they're deliberately designed to make us challenges. So, um, if Satan is an impediment to uh, to human greatness, that's by God's design and limited to God's will. As opposed to the Christian idea of being like the good God and the bad God, or the two separate powers that have that have they each have their own domain and dominion. That's not a Jewish idea at all. Very clear. It's the first line, literally, in Maimonides. Nothing, it means there's one God, and that has all the, all the powers consolidated there. And everything else that exists, it only exists uh, contingent on God willing it to exist. That's absolutely clear. So does Maimonides talk about Satan? Well, the Talmud talks about it's the Satan. You don't have to door Maimonides. It pre- predates the creation of God. Uh, absolutely. Satan is the creation of God uh, for a certain purpose, for a certain reality. Uh, but this Satan has other names. One of the other names that's called is Yetzer Hara, or evil inclination. That's one we, that we're more familiar with. Let's discuss more. Another name that it's that, that, that it's called the, the third and final name is Malachamavet, which means the angel of death. Also, a name that we've heard not quite as frequently as uh, Yetzer Hara, uh, but that's also a name that that, that we hear. That could that have meant the uh, at the. Um at the Passover, that it was Satan, not the angel of death, that killed the Egyptian firstborn? Uh, well, no, well, the, in, the, in the Passover, we say that it was God himself, so to speak. But it was With, the, the, the it, God through the angel of death, wasn't it? Doesn't it yeah, say? yeah, yeah, we could say that. So it was uh, the same entity? It, it's the same entity, but it has three roles. What are the three roles? The Yetzahara, this is what the Talmud says in Babavasra 16a, Yetzahara compels man to sin. That's, that's, that's the one element, element number one. Once man sins, the Satan uh, uh, prosecutes, that's the prosecuting uh, attorney, so to speak. And the Malach Mavis is the, is, the, uh, is the executioner, so to speak. It's, it's, it's the punishment enactment of that prosecution. <laughs> now, um, the Talmud elsewhere says that the word Hasatan if you take the numerical value, I mentioned this when we talked about Yom Kippur, the numerical value of Hasatan is 364. If you take, we know the Hebrew letters have a number associated with the letters. So, hey, the first of Hasatan, which means the Satan, is five. The, uh, uh, the sin is 300, 305. Then uh, plus the nine, which is 314, plus 50, 364. Why? Because the prosecuting attorney, that angel, has power only 364 days a year, as opposed to one day a year, Yom Kippur, that the, 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 there's such an overwhelming abundance of positive that he doesn't have any power. And that's why we blow the shofar. Thomas, why do you blow the shofar on, on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah? Right? Because the shofar causes confusion and the Satan can't get their bearings and they cannot come to the table. Day of judgment. On the day of judgment, we want to confuse the attorney as much as possible. You know, so we we have we have the chauffeur. By the way, 
Mount Sinai, this is Shofar. Why? Because we don't want the Satan there as well. Uh, and, and lastly will be the, the Angel of Death, Malach HaMavetz, who's going to actually enact uh, and mete out the punishment uh, uh, that's deserved to the misdeed. Fine? We're good? Yeah? Did I lose the crowd? There's a cute baby here. It's never and never could possibly uh, compete. That's no, okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. Keep her. Okay. So it means God has sent Satan to yeah. confuse people deliberately. That's the question. The question is very clearly Yetzahara is the term associated for causing us to sin. Satan is not associated with that at all. The, the Satan has absolutely no right or, or, or there's no reason why we're to cause this kind of fusion. Additionally, this is when we are compelled to sin, it's never in this fashion. It's never that we see something visually, externally, that's going to contribute us to, that's going to compel us to sin. It's never like that. It's can always I, internal. Can I, can I probe you on that yes. for a moment? Because always. I remember, we all know the story of Adam and Eve, and we yes. know about the snake. That's yes. a visual thing. Yes. Now, and when I was growing up here in, in Southwest Houston in the Bible Belt, yes. uh, our, our secular teachers told us that was the devil when we talked about it. That's not, that wasn't a snake, that was the devil. So or let's call it that the Satan, whatever. All right, that Satan. force of evil, whatever yeah. that may be. Okay, but that's a, the nemesis I'm, I'm of tr- humans. Yeah, I'm trying to connect that or ask you, is there a connection between that and what you're talking about here? You hit the nail on the head so hard. <laughs> okay. The amazing it seems very clear that the, the the modality for this kind of a test has been experienced before. Right? Usually when we have a test, it's internal. Here it's external, it's visual. And the only time maybe perhaps you can think of that is Adam, before his sin, the force that tried to compel him was not internal, it was, the, it was, it was represented by the serpent. Right? Otherwise, we don't find it. Very interesting. So, um, so are you saying that, that in as much as the Satan does, we have two references to it? Well, we have references to it as a prosecutor, but not as, a, as an instigator to sin. We have a third. We have a third one. Let's hold off on the third one. Um, so, um, what we find elsewhere in the Talmud to just bring this full circle, uh, it says as follows. Now, remember, every time I say something that that, that the Christian or Christian theology that or philosophy that we're maybe perhaps a little bit more familiar with says something similar, they came way afterwards. So, if they take Jewish philosophy and tweak it uh, to their, to, you know, to their uh, a form their of understanding agenda. to their agenda, whatever. Uh, it doesn't make it Christian. It makes it Jewish, but the Christians took it. This is, you know, this is the Talmud. We're talking way before Christian uh, uh, um, ideology is 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 fully formed, or even even it's not fully formed yet. But whatever. Uh, it says as follows: When Adam and Eve consumed or did that sin, uh, poison entered entered the body. There's a certain poison. Okay? Poison. At Mount Sinai, the poison was expunged. They were cleansed from the poison. That's what it says. It doesn't tell us what the poison is. It's, it seems very like a very mysterious uh, piece of Talmud. Uh, think of a human not having any influence of poison. Suddenly, Adam and Eve, they, they sin, and now there's poison within them. 
comes Mount Sinai, they're cleansed. Thus, we could say that the state of the Jews after Mount Sinai was similar to the state of Adam and Eve before the sin. Is that right? Because Mount Sinai experience reverted it back to being poison-free. It sounds a little like what a Christian explanation was to me when I asked them, are all the uh, people before Jesus uh, condemned to uh, hell? Like Moses, Abraham, and they said, no, they, they, they are saved because... You know, sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and and when Jesus came, he atoned for not only the future generations, but the past generations. Yes, absolutely clear. Yes, yes. Okay with that. I like that. Okay. Rabbi, as much as much as we may disagree as Jews with the Christian explanation or justification, isn't that the very same logic you're using there when we're saying that? Well, well, what does the what does the poison mean? So, uh, Dan, it's something to add here. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's clearly before the Yitzhak Raw was eternal. It was external. It's a time within the the image of the, the snake. And then he ate the apple and it became internal, which made everything, you know, uh, unclear. You couldn't tell what, what's good, what's bad. It's all unclear because it's internal. Until Mount Sinai, it was expunged and it was external again. And that's why it's on its reference. Booyah. Booyah. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, that's what seems very clear. And, and um, Adam... We, we think of him as somewhat of like a lightweight. We think of Adam as being some sort of clown. Like, what were you thinking? Dude, you had one mitzvah, right? You had one mitzvah and you couldn't set up to the play, right? That, that's, that's how you would read, read the story. Hey, listen, you got one mitzvah. Just, just do it. What's the big deal? Like, you know, there's so much other things to occupy your mind with. You know, you have to specifically take on this. That's the common perception. Um, in, in the, you know, once you dig in deeper into the Jewish uh, uh, approach to Adam, it seems like Adam was actually very, very, very calculated and had a rationale for what he was doing. The way the Almighty formulated the world with uh, humans uh, is that they would have to make choices. Free will choices is what makes the world a world. I mean, that, that we, we talked, when we talked about all the way back a year and a half ago, we talked about discover God. It seems we 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 we, um, uh, we made it very clear that the purpose of existence, according to Judaism, is for humans to make free will choices. We have a mix of good and bad influence within ourselves. We have to choose good. Adam, as being the first and only human. Adam and Eve, uh, they also had a mission that involved free will. Their free will was at a much lower level. Right, Their successes and their failures were, uh, or the successes were smaller and the failures were greater. Why? Because the challenge of having 
an external influence to do evil are much lesser than having an internal influence. Means when when we feel a conflict of what should we do, right, right, good versus evil, right? To us, it seems like both influences come from within. Both the good, the compelling to do good, and the compelling to do bad are coming from within. That's why we have this internal uh, struggle and, and conflict. Adam, from within, was only good. He had a choice. He had a choice to do bad. But the choice, this is in the words of, 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 of one of the great uh, Jewish personalities of the 19th century, he writes it as follows. He says, the choice to do bad was the same choice that we have to jump into the fire. Do you, do you have a choice? You see, you, you know, if you see a, a raging fire, you have a choice to jump in? Yes, you do. But it's nonsensical, right? That was the same thing for Adam. Clearly, Adam could have very easily preferred to not do that. However, Adam wanted for humanity to have a much greater challenge. Well, Adam upped the ante for, for humanity. He says, okay, I don't, I don't want to suffice with low levels of free will. I want to have the higher level of free will. Right? Thus, Adam sinned. Poison entered their body. What's this poison? The internal force to do evil we call the Yetzirah. Right? Yetzirah means an inclination, an internal inclination to do bad. And now, post that, what do we have? We have humans that are internally conflicted. Now, the other, the, the other element to this whole equation is Torah. Torah is the antidote to the evil inclination. Adam didn't have Torah. If we didn't have Torah we would have zero chance in succeeding against this much more formidable foe. Adam didn't need Torah because his foe was much lesser than ours. Thus, Adam chose to have the higher degree of difficulty together with the higher tool of Torah to counteract uh, that new heightened uh, uh, challenge of an internal conflict. Well, yeah, it means he, he like he's a much much uh, higher. Of course, everything his perception means. We look at Adam as being the culmination of all of humans, the totality of all of human of all of humanity. Talmud says that he was from the floor to the ceiling, and he was able to see from one of the world to the other world. Whatever that means, not clear. Uh, but clearly, he was uh, he was titanic in in either physical ways, but also in 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 conceptual uh, understanding. Of course. So that, that's how we view Adam. Thus, Adam is not just some clown who couldn't just do something that any one of us could have mastered. Rather, Adam was someone who made a decision that uh, that changed the reality of, 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 of the trajectory of the world. That's a lot of power to put on one person. One person, but we said Adam is the combination of all humanity. Yeah, but Uh, us, but we, but who are us? You know, the, if we learn Kabbalah, Kabbalah is very into this whole idea of, of Adam. Adam is huge in Kabbalah. Uh, and they, and they, they talk about how, uh, if we look at Adam as one individual, all of us are little, little micro parts of that one individual. You know, and like, the greatest level is to be part of Adam's beard. Like, those are the highest humans, the beard of Adam or the head of Adam versus like, I don't know, the ankles or the fibulas or whatever. I know, but that's, yes, so, uh, okay, well, that, that's an idea, that's present. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, so practical for us. <laughs> Either way, what happened at Mount Sinai? The Mount Sinai experience, 
So let's maybe let's finish up this point and we'll get back to this, the the core. If if the Mount Sinai reverted the, Jew, the the people back to Adam pre sin, thus the only kind of evil that remains is evil which is external. Uh, well, okay. So what happens? It seems like once they sinned again with the golden calf, it reverted back. It was it had the same parallel effect as the sin of Adam. Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai experience. Ten Commandments. No, the entire people. Well, then why would they, why would they even have this idea if they were then expunged from an internal, like, so source? So, it seems like now the external evil in the form of the Satan is going to try to string them along. In a coffin in the sky. Yes. That's what we're supposed to believe. Because we're not, I mean, I, but I, the Talmud makes very clear. I know you're that's okay. <laughs> it's because we're not talking about facts. We're talking about a guy on a vineyard in a school in the Middle Ages in France who had an idea about how this should be interpreted. Oh. I know, I know, I know. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. But no, remember, this is not, but remember, not this is not Rashi's not quoting this. Rashi's well, quoting the Talmud. Whatever this, but, but he was not there. He was not in the crowd. He did not see a boss. They weren't there. I'm not asking. No, 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 that, that's that's. Nobody is eyewitnessing. None of us yeah. were here. No. None of us were here when George Washington was here. But I think yeah, we yeah. all accept that. Even if it wasn't an eyewitness effect, the beautiful thing is, is this guy makes a key point that he even though he wasn't there, the people still felt the things they see. That's the, that's the point. We fall, we fall into the same trap. We see something, and instead right. of looking deeper inside of us, we fall for it. Like I said, Adam and Eve, they see the apple, Mount Sinai, they see Moses wasn't there. Yeah. We rely too much on the things we see in the physical realm. Then we fall into that trap of right. Which, now And I think lost. what I'm saying is these are all interesting things <coughs> to think about. But not yeah. something that we have to walk away and say this was absolute fact and this is how the we are. ability of just you know, normal you know. people. Like, yeah, people on their own are going to make mistakes and have problems and make the wrong decision. I'm going to, I can make a mistake and have a problem and, and fall short. I don't have to see something so fantastical as like a coffin. And like that is, I don't, you don't need a fantastic excuse <laughs> for the fact that. There's failed. Yeah, that's just human yeah. nature, though. Like, okay, okay, let, here, but, uh, let, let, let me just clarify. Rashi is quoting the Talmud. 
He's right. not making it up. And it's there in the Talmud, and it's been there for 2,000 years. So even if, even, if we want to, even if we want to question that, it's clear this idea has been in the Jewish people for thousands of years. Right, but I think so whether or not it happened or not, I think that's irrelevant. I think there's, there's legitimacy into trying to understand what's being conveyed regardless. Right. Yes. Snake in the garden of Eden, male or female? <laughs> <laughs> Good, great. This just wouldn't be right. Does, does, does it matter? Deeper deeper. Does it matter? Uh, <laughs> if it's male, it splits the women off. If it's male, what? It splits the women off. Couldn't it have been no gender? Uh, I, think no it was, uh, I think it was male. <laughs> Is so there something the specifically that describes? Yeah. So in the big scheme of things, yes. is it not fair to excuse the Israelites from wanting to make the golden calf? It seems to me that it's, it's, um, it's not fair to hold them accountable for the choice that they made because they are operating with the information that they had. And if I put myself in that position where I'm one of these children of Israel, I'm out in the desert, I only know what I know, and, and the Satan comes upon me and it speaks to me and it makes um, all of this confusion. He shows a semblance of darkness, even pitch darkness, indicating that Moses had surely died and therefore confusion had come upon the world. Um... What about your recent history that you just went through? I understand that. And and I don't think that holds more weight than what they're experiencing in present time. Oh, I disagree with that. It's a lack of faith. And faith supersedes what you're actually seeing. So even though things look black, you're showing a lack of faith in God that God will make everything all right and continue to care for them as they have witnessed the judge to that point. And I think that's what they are going to suffer for 40 years in the wilderness because of they didn't have that faith. How many uh, How many people uh, actually participated in this? Do we know? Do we participated in, in the uh, In the golden camp. camp. Was, was, was women did not participate. That's clear. A whole big bunch on three hundred thousand. Three thousand of them got killed. Three thousand of them. That's right. So in verse, uh, verse twenty-eight. I don't know if you guys have all the way to verse twenty-eight, um, but in verse twenty-eight, it's it's it talks about three around three thousand of them died. Yes, yes. So it's, I think it's clear that the women didn't participate. Women and the Kohens, uh and the Levites as well. Huh. 3,000, I was talking about 600,000 adult males. Doesn't it say there was adultery during the... It does seem to... So yes, that means frivolity. women did. Uh, frivolity. Unless they were all gay. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, then the rape is not 
I, but that, that's my point. I think women yeah. had to participate, it's, in, at least either forcibly or voluntarily. Yeah, and we talked about um, there was uh, also a, a high-profile murder. In, the, during in this episode, uh, there's a fellow by the name of Hoor. Uh, Hoor, um, and he seems like he stood up against the mob, and they slaughtered him. And that's what said, and we, looked, we asked him, hey, Aaron, what, what was Aaron's rationale in going along with this? Like, what was he thinking? He didn't want to get killed. So, and yes, yeah, so it was his nephew or cousin, whatever. Um, so he... You know, he didn't want to die the same, the same similar death. Or another another reason why perhaps Aaron did that was he wanted to, he wanted to, um, if you look at, uh, Rashi quotes it, um, one of the Rashi's here, uh, quotes that, uh, this is in, in in verse number five. It quotes that uh, that that Aaron's rationale was that he should be the fall guy. That if it was just the Jewish people and they just did that, well, then they'd be fully liable for whatever happens. As opposed to if Aaron, the righteous Aaron, if he goes along with it, well, then he'll be implicated. And if he's implicated, well, then maybe they'll save the Jewish people. Um, well, but five says that Aaron saw. Yeah. And then what? So what did he say? So what did he, what did he do? He built the altar. Well, first he built he built the altar himself. Is that right? Yes. So he built the altar to stall them. Why did he Why did he build the altar himself to stall them? If if because if everyone contributed to build the, building the altar, well then what would happen? It would be built in five seconds. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And 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 we were just looking at Rashi. We were just looking at Rashi. I have on my page like seventeen different commentaries, 
and actually not the only one, but um, what makes it what, what is abundantly clear from all the commentaries is that the simplistic superficial reading uh, is a little bit short-sighted. Uh, because, like you said, there's nuances in the words, and and uh, and there's um, you know, just just more backstory, and you know, we have to know what's what was happening at that time to get a, a complete picture. But I, like we said, I, I, you know, when I started off saying here, I don't think getting to a certain end or goal is is the goal. It's just having the dialogue, having the discussion, seeing where 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 it brings. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I think that I think there's a probably, there's for sure a few takeaways. Um, uh, I think that the uh, maybe the number one would perhaps be the fallibility uh, of of superficial or or non earned, uh, just gifted spiritual greatness. You know, the Jewish people. What were they? They were, like we said, they were pagans, like the Egyptians. And they come and they mount Sinai, and then what happens? They're suddenly the prophets for a day. And what happens only a couple days later? So they're idolaters, or whatever. Whatever they did, they did something wrong. That's clear. Well, what happened? You know, how is it possible that someone who achieves such meteoric heights would, a mere forty or thirty-nine days later, descend to such lows? Clearly, the height didn't last. Now, why didn't it last? Perhaps it didn't last because it wasn't earned, or or, or it was instantaneous. Uh, you know, they didn't do something to get that. They were just elevated superficially. Which is the same reason Adam ate the the fruit he wanted to work for, make it a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and we have another example. Like uh, we meet a fellow in in the Book of Numbers. We meet a fellow by the name of Bilam. This great prophet, non-Jewish prophet, the, you know, the one prophet that rivaled Moses in prophecy. Uh, in Moses' epithet, it says that there was no one, no prophet in Israel like Moses. In Israel, there was no one like Moses. But in the Gentiles, the words. Bilam was, was as great as Moses in prophecy. And what did he do? Right? First of all, he slept with his donkey, which well, I don't know you feel like you know, we... Yes, we're not going there exactly. Um, but he, he was someone who did everything he can to destroy the Jewish people. He's like the antithesis of, of what we stand for. Uh, in, the, in, in the book of Perkevot, in Chapters of the Fathers, it, it places him as the, uh, as the complete opposite of Abraham. How is it possible that someone that the Torah itself testifies, Yodea dat elyon, knows the knowledge of God, someone like that can descend so low? It's another good question. Maybe his prophecy, his greatness... His spiritual race is not necessarily going to contribute to his behavior being on, on par with someone uh, who maybe would have earned that. I don't even, I've never even heard of Bill. Well, it's, it's in the book. Um, so the fact that the, um, the Israelites did choose to leave Egypt, because as we often said, many Jews did not leave Egypt. The ones that did leave Egypt, And and in the and another thing that we haven't mentioned, even though uh, I think someone Dan maybe someone else brought it up, is the fact that we have the mixed multitude. It wasn't just Jews. And um, like uh, we look at um, the conversation that uh, God has with Moses. Uh, another nuance here on uh, verse seven. So verse seven it says, and God tells Moses, "Go descend 
uh, because uh, your nation perverted or deviated. I did corruptly. Okay. Uh, your nation. It's not your nation. It's the nation. It's our nation. It's God's nation. We're God's people. What's it? Your nation. Well, why does it say your nation? Makes it very clear. Your people, your nation. Isn't that kind of almost analogous? It's like God is saying it frustrated because it's God's people. We are his people. But suddenly God... He, now he's saying it's your people. It's kind of like when the the husband and the wife are mad at each your other. Your kids. It's your son when he does something wrong. It's my son when he does something right. Yeah, you know? that's what... And, and God's like disassociating himself from the nation, so to speak. But why would he do that? You know, this is... We're God's people, aren't we? What happened to the whole chosen nation thing? Why is it suddenly Moses' people? So what does Moses tell? So look at Rashi here. Uh, the second Rashi, the uh, third Rashi on that on that verse, and he points out it doesn't say that the nation corrupted or the people corrupted. It says rather it says your nation, your people. Why? Because Moses was the one who said, "Let's bring up all the mixed multitude, all the Egyptians, all the non-Jews that want to join. Let them join. It'd be great." God says, "I don't know, man. You're bringing up all these people. They weren't vetted. Who knows?" But Moses, you know, the most Moses pushed forth, and 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 and, uh, and, uh, and they brought up all the all the non Jews, and and not necessarily all of them were so uh, were so uh, sincere about joining the Jewish people, and they were the ones who who brought who who, who were the major forces behind this golden calf. So cap. he's saying, actually, the so they're your people. This your is your fault. If it was only the Jews that for lack of a better word, that that God originally wanted, it would, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, because the instigators uh, were the, and the Jews followed alone, but right. the instigators were, and also we have the idea of, of 3,000, and, and we, we see if it's only 3,000 people died, yeah, maybe everyone else was involved on some level, but if you're talking 3,000 men out of uh, out of six, 600,000, that's, that's, that's a half a percent, that's very small, one of every 200 people. Uh, so one or two people uh, were participants on such a degree that it warranted them to die. Um, what was the role of everyone else? We don't know. Um, it's, maybe they had some role, some partial role. But either way, it seems like another idea, the takeaway is that whenever a part of the Jewish people are corrupted or sin, well, that affects everyone. And we can't say, oh, you know what? I didn't participate. Don't look at me. We know for sure that all the Kohens and all the Levites did not participate. In fact, very cool thing here. Uh, if you look at the breakdown of the, of the uh, every Parsha is broken down into seven sections. Because you read seven par- portions of it. The se- seven sections of the portion are read on, on, on Shabbat. Uh, the first section is always allotted to the Kohen. The next one is to the Levite. If you look at this particular Parsha, the Kohen and the Levi sections are longer than the rest of the other 53 verses. It means the two longest sections in the Torah are Kohen and Levi of this Parsha. Why would they do that? Why would they break it down that way? Because the Israelites was also right. Or more. No, that we don't want to, to call up an Israelite to this portion. Because every time an Israelite reads this, they start blushing. Because they know that they may have participated in some degree. That's why they call to the Torah to read this whole section, or these whole sections, only the Kohens and, and the Levites that were, you know, that were clean, that did not participate at all, they should be the ones that read the Torah, they shouldn't get uh, embarrassed or ashamed. 
could it possibly be that those 3,000 that got annihilated were actually those ones that were non-Jews to begin with? Maybe, maybe. It seems, it seems, it seems likely. Probably with money. That's why they got out of there. <laughs> I And you said that this was your rationale for it because. And it says it is good that converts flee to the Shekinah. Yes. I wonder if you would just speak to that. What was it that Moses did that converted that mixed multitude without consulting God? That's, I don't remember ever seeing that before. Well, Moses made a calculation. He says, hey, we have a lot of Egyptians and they're inspired. And they saw what happened to the Egyptians, and they saw what happened to Pharaoh, and they saw that the Jewish people were spared, and they want to join. You know, they want in. They want to get in while uh, you get on the hot IPO. So Moses made an executive decision. And Moses, the leader of people, says, okay, let's, what could possibly go wrong with this? You want to have more people join. Uh, these are people that seem maybe they're sincere, or maybe they, you know, they, they want to join. They want to come. They want to abandon their families, abandon their, their country, and join the Jewish people. Obviously, right? I didn't read the perspective as well. <laughs> I have a question, though. So what happened to the gold? Oh, so the gold was was, was destroyed, and they was put in the water, and they had to drink. There's, all, there's a lot more that happened. We only got the first John, couple of verses. is working with us. <laughs> I'm sorry. Either way, um, I, I think I think that there are a lot of good lessons that we can pull out, even though it's a very tragic episode and the after effects. Uh, I think it's important for us, to maybe if, if we can, in our own time, to finish reading the story and see how it, how it was resolved. You know, Moses was presented with this uh, uh, granddaddy offer, uh, where well, God told Moses, "You know, let let let's just scrap this whole Jewish nation thing. Let's start from scratch, and you'll be the forefather. You'll be just Moses." And then Moses prays and just selflessly says, you know what, you know, what's going to be? What are the Egyptians going to say? All the rationales that Moses used to negotiate with God, very interesting, especially in light of what we spoke about last week and kind of the role of prayer in, uh, in, in, in determining what's going to happen to an individual or to a nation. Uh, that's very interesting for us to, to look at. Can I ask one thing? Because God obviously changed his mind when Moses convinced him. Yes, to yes, yes. Now, doesn't it say earlier in, or somewhere in the Torah that God does not change his mind? God doesn't change, well, God doesn't change, well, by, by prayer, by definition, means that the humans have a, a say at the table, a seat at the table. Uh, but God doesn't, what is it? God doesn't change his mind. Like, God doesn't add or subtract from the Torah. It's God's like, you know, you can't change the Torah. The Torah, Torah is a final book. That's no, I prayer. understand, but, but if... If it says he doesn't, it say literally somewhere he does not change his mind. Uh, <clears throat> change his mind. That's my point. Did yeah, but prayer God has not violate his own law there. Uh, he can change his law. No, that's a good question. How exactly does it work? The mechanics of of prayer does that change God's mind, or maybe that? And if you look well, at there's a Rashi well, here because he says that prayer. Maybe God's mind is made up uh, a pending prayer. Look at because look, look, look how I say that. Look at look at uh, verse number ten. God says, you know, let me let, let, let me be and let me destroy the people. So Rashi points out. Look at Rashi again. Rashi points out that Moses didn't actually start praying yet. So God's saying, hey, stop praying. 
before Moses even starts praying. <laughs> right? Yeah. Moses hasn't said a word yet. And God says, stop, uh, leave me alone. Let me be. Let me destroy the people. What do you mean? You haven't even started, you haven't even started praying. Why is God saying, let, let me be? All right, so, so God is, okay, well that I think makes some sense because, sure, God's saying if you sin and, and don't repent, you're in trouble. But if you repent, I'll, I'll forgive you. Well, 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 how does Rashi frame this? Uh, we haven't heard yet Moses pray. Yet God says, let me be. Right. So uh, he says here, God's telling him, opening up the door and telling him that the matter is contingent upon him. That if he prays, God will destroy them. So even though God says, I want to destroy the people, but God's also saying, well, there's one way out. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's one loophole, there's one solution, that's prayer. So even if, you know, when we say God makes up his mind, God, God had made up his mind to destroy the people. However, anytime God takes that kind of stance, well, there's still prayer that can change that. Yeah, I mean, or, or even when his mind was committed, it was committed, but uh, there's always the option of prayer, and that was part of the commitment. That's not, that's not changing his mind. Like my point is that you're saying God changed his mind. Well, no, even when God made up his mind, the mind was made up pending the prayer. That, okay, uh, so if they wouldn't have prayed, then he would have gone. Moses had not prayer. That seems very clear. God, that's what God intended. People do this all the time, and within our interpersonal relationships. Yeah, that's that, guys. Uh, it was a lot of fun and interesting, different. Uh, thanks to John for suggesting that. And uh, in this, we have some more uh, some more text based uh, discussions coming. I hope I hope everyone enjoyed it. It was very different yeah, than usually, uh, but much more interactive, and uh, everyone gets to um, you know give a perspective, and that's I think very valuable. And uh, you get to kind of. You get to kind of see what you know, see what the sources actually say, and, and debate it. That's that's wonderful. I'm cu- we're, we're our own Talmudic panel here. Right? This is great. Uh, curious, you, you said you're fo- getting into this blue thread. I don't want to open yeah. that up again, but but you just made a comment. Your father wears a blue. Yeah. Thread. What's it made out of? It's made out of this uh, this what they they assume is the animal is the right animal. So you can't just get a blue thread and. You have to get it from this. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like a hundred dollars for just the thread. It's very expensive. Very hard to find, and you know. But wouldn't that those snails or whatever they are would they go extinct? Yeah, but how? Like they find at the bottom of like the ocean in certain places in certain seasons. Explanatory. Yeah, they have pictures of it. Nice.